Before we get started, a quick disclaimer. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Rangely Capital Podcast. I'm Andrew Walker, a portfolio manager at Rangely. And with me, as always, is my co-host and Rangely's founder, Chris Demuth. Quick overview of this podcast for those of you new to the show. Every month, we do a monthly links post where we highlight all the things that caught our attention. And we use this podcast as an opportunity to build out on some of the different articles and topics that stood out to us the most, as well as some of the most interesting situations and event-driven land. So Chris, today I wanted to talk about three different things. The WeWork aborted IPO, the shift from growth to value stocks, and kind of the poor performance of uh, recent high-flying IPOs like Uber, Lyft, Peloton, and then what's driving the lack of big deals lately. So if it works for you, why don't we start with probably the most popular finance subject of September and maybe this year, the bizarre process for WeWork. Just an overview for those of you who've been living under a rock. This month, WeWork tried to IPO. SoftBank had invested in them at a $48 billion valuation. WeWork's bankers had told them you could probably IPO at as high as $100 billion. They got told they might not even be able to IPO for $10 billion by the end of the process. They had to pull their IPO and they fired their CEO slash founder, Adam Newman. That's a summary, but there is just so much more to this bizarre story. So Chris, I'll turn it over to you. What do you think about WeWork's aborted IPO and what was your favorite part of the stories that came out? Wow. What's my favorite part? First of all, IPOs in general, I think, are the point farthest from what's generally attractive to value investors. You have everybody putting right out in the public a reason to get excited about something. All of the high-priced helpers are incentivized to come up with as high a number as, as plausible. And you're also having this weird scenario where people are celebrating the fact that they're selling something to you. In this particular case, my big takeaway is if there's a concept you have, if you have a high-minded concept and there's one person on the planet you can convince of your concept, it's great if that one person is Masa-san. You know, I think my favorite thing about this was were the the kind of late takes on this where they were like, look, we work their whole thing. It was not that they were some revolutionary tech company. Like that's what they were pitching themselves. But it was that they were growing so quickly and consuming capital that they fit one man's desire for quick growing capital consuming business. And that's Masasan. Yeah. And I, I think that was my favorite because I will tell you this, we work, we can talk valuation later, but I, I don't know how any rational person thought this could be anywhere close to what it was marked at. No, I, I, I absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things we talked about in the past is the, is the tension between being value sensitive and time sensitive. In Masasan's case, there's this tension between being value sensitive and scale sensitive. He was this scale taker and he was a value giver at almost any level to simply consume the capital he had at Vision so he could go on to Vision 2 and then presumably Vision 3. And uh, so it just led to madness. I mean, today he's probably the only person who could or would invest in WeWork. And boy, uh, that's the situation that they're left with. The crazy story from the Vision Funds, which is Masa Sun's and SoftBank's VC fund that Mm -hmm. they raised $100 billion, was entrepreneurs would come in and be like, we're looking for $100 million at a $1 billion valuation to raise this. And he'd go, no, you're thinking too small. Here's a $10 billion check at a $20 billion valuation. Now go take over the world. It's like, what? What? Like, And WeWork was just the perfect example of that. I mean, this is a company that it's it's not a technology company. I don't understand how anyone thought it was a technology company. It's either a real estate company or a subleasing company. And to be a fifty billion dollar valuation where you're worth more than you're worth worth more than every landlord you have, it was just crazy to me. It, it's not capitalism in the sense of uh, you have capital, I need capital, and we through a uh, primary market and then later a secondary market kind of 
of go back and forth to have price discovery. It was kind of like the VC version of a Veblen good or snob good, where the higher the price, yeah. the more <laughs> that you would like it. And then today you look at it, uh, and it's something we're seeing in a lot of places right now where the person who started it and who was in charge he is going to have made out well in this and they have not yet announced enough layoffs. It's almost impossible for them to cut costs fast enough. The private market was really where they were willing to string this along for years and the public market wasn't having it even for a day. Uh, you know, a lot of public equity investors are only sad that they didn't have a chance to short it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I personally wonder, because we have a range of capital, we work office in New York where I can work from home every now and then. And I personally wonder, like, how do those employees feel feel these days? Or like, is my WeWork office going to be gone in six months or eight months or something? Because it, it looks bleak for them. Uh, what do you think? There's two other things I, I want to hit here. Sure. A, what was your favorite, most bizarre thing that came out? Because there were so many stories and there were so many of them. The, the the uh what to me was ip uh yes. abuse uh, which one. is you know ip something that i think about a lot i care about a lot if if you create something your ownership of that to me is just as much your as your ownership of your car mm-hmm. or your house or anything else it's it's it's, it's worth defending but if it's common usage, including a pronoun, you don't get to own we. And so in theory, the uh, founder CEO uh, owned it. When he decided to change the corporate name to it, uh, he then sold it for millions of dollars. So this was WeWork changed their name to We, and Adam Newman apparently owned the copyright or to whatever we. to We, and he charged WeWork $7 million to buy the copyright from the company he owned and controlled. Incidentally, and- with, with the increasing popularity of specifying pronouns on Twitter right now, if, if you really can own pronouns, I would love to own they and the other ones for royalty purposes. But uh, yeah, that is something that uh, I don't think there was anybody at WeWork slash We to fight him on this, but they should have just taken it and used it. It's common usage. Well, you stole mine. I also did like where uh, he went on, I think a retreat or something, and he came back one day and said, we're going vegetarian. There will be no more meat served at WeWork. And everyone was like, what? What? Why? And he was like, there just won't be. And WeWork like had to think for 48 hours. And they said, it's a sustainability thing. And that's what they pitched me when we got our WeWork. And I was like, oh, okay. I, I guess that makes sense. It's inclusive, sustainable. But it turns out, no, the CEO just decided no meat for anyone. And uh, I, I love that. There, it, I mean, I don't think we're ever going to get anything as good as this IPO process. It was incredible. The, the S1 was amazing because that's where they started having to kind of tell the truth in some pretty concrete ways ways for something that I think that, that if they could, they would get away with what's on their website and what uh, is, by the way, still alive today, that they're, they're there to elevate the world's consciousness. And you can't really put a price on that. But in this one where they had to you know show their org chart and show things that were fairly concrete and there were lawyers involved, that's where it just started crashing down. Well, let's shift a bit. And this should be a, a pretty natural transition. You know, I think the hallmark of the current bull market has been growth. And I'm using growth a little bit in quote term, because I think people use it to mean high multiple, but oftentimes like, you know, a Microsoft or something is high multiple, but it's really high quality growth too. But I think it's been growth stocks have massively outperformed value stocks. And again, I use quotes because, you know, a value stock might be a coal company that's only got two years of life left. Like people that's low multiple people call it value, but is it value? I don't know. Anyway, it's growth has outperformed value. But in September, we saw a lot of signs of that trend reversing. You know, I think uh, there were Wall Street Journal articles like hunting for cheap stocks is back in favor, value massively outperformed growth. The Russell 2000 value ETF was up 1% while the growth ETF was down about 4%. That's, that's a pretty big swing for one 
month. And high-flying IPOs like Uber, Lyft, Peloton, they're all trading way below their IPO process. And you know, other IPOs like WeWork had to be pulled. So I've seen so many different explanations for the phenomenon that's going on here. Uh, what do you think of what's happening? I won't quibble too much with these categories. I think you kind of touched on this. I don't love the categories because there are things that are within what we would describe as value that is sort of agnostic to the growth level. I mean, that's just one of the variables where you could have something that's growing very fast that's also given that growth trajectory is a good value. But setting that aside, I think that it's related to what we just talked about, which is the VC washout spreading to the equity market. The busted IPOs is where we're really unmasking a lot of the BS and nonsense like WeWork's community-based EBITDA is a phrase I don't think we're going to hear a lot in the public markets. <laughs> I don't I don't know if you can even pull that up on Bloomberg, uh, but I think we're going to revert uh, to value as a, a default. One reason that the price discovery role of public markets is working better than the VC model is that it's primarily based on common stock. If you look at the most egregious valuations we've seen in VC, and they've crept into the public markets by IPO and then have kind of started to fall in shambles, is that they're not real apples to apples valuation of anything. SoftBank had prefs with preferential rights. Yep. They had they were first to the exits, and they had uh, and then they tried to imply that the whole company was worth that. There's no similar hiding places in the public markets, and it's real price discovery, and we're discovering that the prices are mostly much lower, where on the value side, some are a bit higher. I think that's 100% right. And then the other point, I, I think that's very easy. You know, in a in a private round, you raise at a $48 billion valuation. Now, with the Vision Fund, they were injecting a lot of cash, but you know, if I'm going to raise at a $10 billion valuation and I'm raising $500 million, all I need to do is find five really bullish people at $100 million, whereas if I'm a public company trying to support a $10 billion market cap, you know, wisdom of the crowds, everyone can buy and sell. If It's going to kind of come back to the median investor versus if I'm doing a one-time raise, I can go and find the five most pe- bullish people out there and price that. So I think that's got a lot to do with the private market dynamics. In political polling, there's a lot of opportunities to make people express their choice. And then you can set aside that choice and say, can you tell me, do you feel strongly or not strongly in a way that in the markets, it's a little hard to enunciate that difference sometimes. But in these markets in VC, it tends to be the most enthusiastic enthusiast, at least for a while, Mm -hmm. and then it reverts back to the average. So you don't really have a common stock way to say, well, there are some people that are crazy about this, unless you have this funny situation as you go from VC to IPO, where you have tiny floats, in theory, massive market caps, but a lot of people don't have a way to express skepticism. You own it to express your enthusiasm, and then it implies these valuations, but it's not a real valuation. Yeah. And this is something I want to write it, write it a little bit more about at some point. But I also think it's interesting, you know, a, a lot of people, valuation doesn't matter. And, you know, I, I will say, like, you know, I think the job of investing in stuff is probably less serious than cancer surgery or something. But, you know, something like WeWork raising at $48 billion valuation, you saw a lot of other startups that were devoted to, like, copying the WeWork business model. And WeWork, you know, they might be bankrupt next year, but you know who's probably going to be bankrupt next year? All the companies that signed WeWork-like deals and didn't have WeWork's $10 billion from SoftBank or something. And it does just show you, you know, if you're getting pricing signals that say, 
WeWork is the most valuable thing thing on the market. People are going to go copy that. And when the pricing mechanisms fail, that, that can have kind of disastrous effects for capital markets. Not, not crazy serious, but for the people who work there or for the you know 15,000 WeWork employees who are 1,500, 1,500, who got options that were struck at 48 billion, like their time there is borderline wasted at this point. Like it, it does have some pretty serious effects. Absolutely. Last thing on the shift to value top performance. I mean, I saw tons of explanations. I saw people who said, this is the start of a, a popping of the equity bubble. This is a sign that we're going to go into a huge bear market, late stage bull market rally. I saw people who said, you know what? In two months, this is probably going to be meaningless, and nobody's going to remember. Uh, nobody's going to remember this great value to momentum shift. I'll, I'll kind of spoil my answer and say I. I think I lean towards the latter answer. But what do you think? Is is there anything to read in there? I think it's very hard to have a successful podcast where I answer unanalyzable noise, <laughs> but unanalyzable <laughs> yeah. noise. I mean, I just I thought it was so funny. September tenth, one day, value beat momentum. People, this is it. This is it. It was like one day, really. Okay, your true value investing stuff there. It doesn't mean anything. Uh, last thing I wanted to flip uh, by you, Chris. So, you know, in general, I I want this podcast to talk about the biggest deal of the month or whatever. And the thing that surprised me, you know, I looked over the past two or three months and there hasn't really been any big deals out there that have interested me. There have been some deals, but nothing big. And I don't want to generalize my interest over the past few months with the overall market. But I think I've seen some early statistics that say kind of since late spring, early summer, we've seen a real chill in mm-hmm. the M&A market, specifically the larger side of the M&A market. And that's surprising because, you know, debt markets are still relatively open. Valuations are still relatively high. There's still a lot of synergistic transactions out there. Uh, so I, I wanted to flip it over to you. You know, has M&A fallen off? And if so, and let's maybe agree that it has, what, what do you think is driving that fall off? I think that we had an era that we have now concluded where the S&P had really recovered decently well from the financial crisis. So once you got to about 2013, I think there was the beginning of about a five-year period where it was easy for bidders to offer new all-time high or recent highs Mm -hmm. to targets. Sure, it's arbitrary, but I found a surprising number of target boards that really do care about that. They just wanted to recover on their own, and they just stuffed their fingers in their ears in 2009, 2010, 11, 12, when I was like, hey, do you want to sell now? Like, no, we we want to we want to recover on our own. My favorite defense of all time is you and I will talk to a company and be like, hey, like somebody's offering a massive premium. I don't think there's any chance you're going to get this as a standalone. Like, why aren't you guys taking this offer or negotiating or something? They'll be like, well, they're offering 80, our stock's at 40, but you know, seven years ago, our stock traded for 85 and we can't sell out for anything less than the all-time high. It's like, what? It's a real reaction you get frequently. I mean, that plus a time machine would be a useful point, but people make it. And now we have real buyers going on strike. If you look at the past year, it doesn't answer who's failing to cross a bid-ask spread. But we do have a bit of evidence in that uh, strategic reviews over the last year have had a low over the last decade in consummated deals at premiums. Mm-hmm. So when you have companies that have admitted, we're sellers, we don't know if there's a buyer, the answer recently, frequently, has been no. You know, and I I personally think there's two reasons for that. A, you've had debt markets have been wide open for seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. So a I think there are a lot of synergistic deals out there, but I think that the easiest ones, if they were doable, they've probably been done. Now, every now and then, you know, you had a CEO who was opposed and the CEO retires or something. So all of a sudden you've got a new one that pops up. But I think for by and large, the easiest ones have been done. But I think personally, since the summer, 
I think, especially for larger M&A, you are just seeing a complete regulatory freeze where no one knows you've got the China trade war. And if you have China review on your merger, nobody knows if China's going to approve it or not, or if you're going to get NXPI'd and the deal's going to get blocked. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody knows what this administration's going to do. And by the way, nobody knows if this administration's going to be here in 12 or 14 months. And the next administration, you know, assuming it's a Democratic, you have an insane, insanely wide range of regulatory outcomes and how harsh they're going to be looking at mergers. So I just think you're seeing a complete regulatory freeze in terms of uh, mergers. Absolutely. You also have in domestic deals, a kind of politicization of a lot of processes that have been fairly nonpartisan historically. Mm-hmm. I think some of the most high-functioning parts of D.C., in my experience, are the professional staffs at the DOJ and the FCC. Mm-hmm. Uh tend to have a lot of friendships across parties. I know I do. And I uh, tend to have a lot of respect for the craft. And that craft is in shambles right now relative to their relationship with their political bosses. I'd also say that it's common after about a decade or so to have these populist moments after a financial crisis. Mm-hmm. We certainly are in one now. And not only is it a frequent occurrence, not only are we in it now, it's not clear what our hope or expectation is for how we might get out of it anytime soon. If the nominees are Trump and Warren, it's going to be all populism from left to right, which is kind of ominous for equities generally, in particular, healthcare, energy, financials. It's certainly ominous for deal flow. If you're a buyer, you could be walking into an industry where a major party nominee has said they're going to ban that industry. Yeah, and, and I think that's perfect. And you know, going back to our point on and this is a little bit, we said, hey, we don't want to take September 10th value outperform growth one day to mean anything. But I think you've seen most private equity alternative managers have seen their stocks go down 10 to 20% over the past two weeks. Mm-hmm. And a big piece of that is Elizabeth Warren is starting to lead in the Democratic polls. And she said, basically, she's going to ban private equity if she's elected. And, uh, you know, and if you're fracking and health insurance. Yeah, so. <laughs> but if you're a private equity firm, ignore your stock. But if Warren's saying, I'm going to ban it or I'm not going to let you do deals, you're going to have to guarantee your company's leverage and all this. You can't go out and do deals right now because you don't know what type of regulatory environment you're you're going into. And another thing, we've talked about Sprint T-Mobile a lot on this podcast. We know a lot of people who think Sprint T-Mobile should be approved. We know a lot of people who thought Time Warner AT&T should be blocked. I don't know many people who thought Time Warner AT&T should be blocked and Sprint T-Mobile should be approved, no. <laughs> except for people at the DOJ, apparently. Yeah. And you have to wonder how much did that have to do with Time Warner owning CNN and Sprint T-Mobile staying in Trump hotels when they visit the DOJ? Like When you get that politicization, people wonder, hey, do I have to stay in a Trump hotel? But if I do that now, will the next administration not let my deal go through? I mean, I, I just think it's a really tough time for M&A when you're, you're going to risk billions on the line yeah. with a long-term outlook. You might want to get multiple hotel reservations and just emphasize which one, depending on how things work out. We're saying at the Trump and the non-Trump hotel, (laughs) we'll just flip back and forth. I'll get that reimbursed. Uh, Anything else you want to talk on any of these topics, Chris? I have nothing to add. Great. Well, hey guys, we appreciate you listening to the podcast. We'll be back at the end of this month, hopefully hopefully with a couple more deals to talk about. But until then, we'll talk to you soon. Bye.